take your industry insights to the next level by becoming a restaurant business subscriber. Go to restaurantbusinessonline.com, click on the blue subscribe button in the upper right-hand corner, enter promo code PODCAST23, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-23, to get your first month of RB Basic for free. After promo period, current rates apply. And now, please enjoy this episode of Many Feed. Welcome to Menu Feed, a weekly podcast from Restaurant Business and Food Service Director. I'm Pat Kobe, Senior Editor covering menu, food, drink, and chefs for both brands. Joining me on the podcast are two industry pros, Carl Sobachinski and Diego Campos. Carl is the president of Table 301, a hospitality company in Greenville, South Carolina, with six restaurants, a food truck, a couple of event venues, and a catering arm. Diego is executive chef at Camp, a modern American eatery under the Table 301 umbrella. Carl opened Sobeys, his first restaurant in Greenville, 26 years ago, and it's still going strong, serving a comforting menu focused on low country cuisine. He has since opened more than a dozen other restaurants, each a differentiated concept, and a number of which are now in the hands of one of his former chefs or managers through Table 301's unique buyout program. Diego started as a line cook at one of Carl's restaurants, working his way up to eventually helm the kitchen at camp. There he infuses the menu with his culinary stamp, playing with global flavors, sourcing from local producers, and introducing several new seasonal dishes every month. Listen as they share the inspiring story behind Table 301's name. Describe how Greenville has evolved into a melting pot of cultural influences and how the restaurant company's loving attention to guests and staff is the secret to its longevity. Welcome, Carl and Diego. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you for having us. Well, great. Well, Carl, let me begin with you. Will you tell me how Table 301 got started in 1997 and about the six restaurant concepts that now comprise the group? Yes, I'd be happy to. So I I had cut my teeth a little bit um, starting a restaurant a little bit prior to Sobeys uh, in 1993. And I was a a young 24-year-old who didn't have a lot of experience, but enough to, to try to open a restaurant. And so I learned a lot through that experience, um, ended up uh, leaving the restaurant that I had started and embarking down Main Street a few blocks and found the location where Sobeys is now located. And that opened 26 years ago last week, oh. uh, right here in downtown Greenville. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank you. So it's been a wild ride. We've, over the course of that time, we've probably opened uh, 14 or 15 different concepts. We are currently operating six um different concepts. We also have a catering business, two special event venues, and a food truck. So quite a bit of diversity. Um, it, it started in 1997, as you mentioned, Pat, with with Sobeys, um, and that is our flagship. It's a 300-seat uh, southern low-country cuisine restaurant, shrimp and grits, fried green tomatoes, white chocolate, banana cream pie, lots yeah. of comfort food. 
and it's evolved into um, a small independent restaurant group. And about 10 years in, as we were starting our fourth concept, we said we needed an umbrella parent company. Uh, and that's where the, the parent company name Table 301 came into play. Table 301 is actually the a specific table in Sobeys. And we like to refer to it as the chef's table. It's uh, not in the kitchen, but it sits up on a mezzanine that overlooks and looks down into the kitchen. And no walls, no glass um, walls uh, dividing it. You literally can just look down and observe and have a conversation with the team in the kitchen, um, as well as look back at the comings and goings of the restaurant. So when we were defining hospitality and what our restaurant group was all about and the culture, uh, it was all about wanting every guest to feel like they were sitting at table 301. And we just felt like that was a great name for our company and that we could talk about that to each of the other restaurant concepts um, that, you know, we should treat each guest as if they're in our home, as if they're at the chef's table uh, and that table in the flagship being table 301. And are all the restaurants now serving Southern low country cuisine or are they all a little different? Yeah, they're distinctly different. Um, so that's the the business model was not to recreate um, one brand and try to emulate it and repeat it in other markets. All of our restaurants are in a three block radius in downtown Greenville, and they all offer a distinct um, ambiance and decor, uh, menu design and development and cuisine. Uh, and so it's it keeps it very diverse. Um, it gives our customer base options to still stay within our restaurant group, but get a different flair and different menu. So we have a Mediterranean concept called the Lazy Goat. And we have a gastro pub called the Nosedive. We have a seafood oyster company called the Jones Oyster Company. We have Camp, a modern American eatery, which is where Diego is our executive chef. And then, as I mentioned, we have our catering business, food truck and special event, private event venues. Wow. You must be very busy. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, we have an amazing team um, and a great leadership, general manager and executive chef in each restaurant. So they kind of, they all run autonomously, but we also, you know, work together collectively and, and the main focus is on the culture and the hospitality. So tell me a little bit about how you work with some of the chefs and managers and other employees to become owners of the restaurant that they're in through a buyout. Yeah. So it's been, it's been a great program um, that we started four or five years ago. Um, I'm about to turn 56 and at 45 and at 50, you just, you start kind of taking a look at that age and where you are and what's important to you. Um, and from a business standpoint, I was kind of looking at exit strategy and, and what that might look like down the road. And for a, a restaurant group of our type that has unique individual concepts and not um, something that's been scaled, I wasn't quite sure how to what the exit strategy would look like. I didn't I didn't foresee an equity firm or an individual coming in and, and wanting to take over a restaurant group that had six, seven at the time, eight or nine different concepts. So I did a program called Liberty Fellowship, and it's through the Aspen Global Leadership Network. And it really just talks about legacy and involvement, impact, and things that we're passionate about. And so when I started thinking about legacy and impact um, and paying it forward, I thought there was no better way 
to help myself with an exit strategy and help others that had been along for the ride and helped me achieve some of my goals than to try to look at some of these individual restaurants and come up with an exit strategy that helped our hardworking managers or chefs um, become the next wave of entrepreneurs and generational business folks um, setting up, setting themselves up for their future and their family's future. So of the restaurants that you already mentioned, um, can you talk about one that um, experiences buyout strategy? Yeah. So actually of the restaurants that I mentioned, those are all still under the table 301 umbrella. Uh, Camp has a managing partner, uh, as does Jones Oyster Company. But a better reference would be to kind of back up to, so we have turned four of the restaurants over completely to the manager or chef. And each one has worked slightly differently and a little bit unique. And that's the the neat thing about being an independent owner operator is you can get creative and, and do what works best for the business, for myself and for the um, future owner. So a great example was um, Gianna is an Italian restaurant that we opened in 2017. Chef Michael Kramer had joined our team. Uh, he had earned his stripes and made quite a name for himself in Charleston and then in Houston. He wanted to settle down in a community like Greenville. So we partnered up for him to come join our team. He worked with our Table 301 um, leadership team for about four years. And then we built, uh, designed and built this restaurant, Gianna, about a hundred seat Italian restaurant together. And we went into it with the the backing of Table 301. We built it, we financed it. Uh, Michael took the leadership helm. And then as we've paid down the debt and we got the restaurant debt free, we had a sale price and I owner financed it or Table 301 owner financed it to him. And operations was able to, to pay the monthly uh, note on that back to table 301. And we had a five-year plan and a five-year um, note, and he was able to pay it off in three years. So wow. um, just over a year ago now, I guess it's been, he uh, became officially 100%. He was the 100% owner, but he had a, we were holding the paper on it. The note. Right. Um, but yeah, three years into it, he made the final payment um, and a 100% owner operator. And without any debt. It's quite an amazing story. Um, And we've done that three other times as well. Yeah, that's, that is definitely amazing. Well, Diego, how did you become involved with Carl and Table 301? So I started uh, back at Passerelle, which is another example of, uh, of what Carl was telling us about. Uh, I started back then in 2013. That's when they opened the concept and uh, I mean, I was—I uh, consider myself young still, but I don't think so anymore. But uh, back then, I was 22 years old, and uh, I was getting into the kitchen environment, wanting to be a chef. So I started as a line cook back then, and uh, I just kept on working, you know, through different concepts within Table 301. And uh, thankfully, you know, now I'm uh, able to run a, a kitchen uh, in Table 301. So it's been quite a an expedition, quite a, a, a trip, and it's been amazing. I'm very thankful for it. So, yeah. And you're currently executive chef at Camp. So. Correct. Yes. So, what I mean, I read that Camp has uh, a menu that's described as modern American with global flavors. So, how does that translate into actual menu items? Can you talk about a couple of the menu items? Yes, of course. Uh, so basically what we try to do with the modern American topic is seeing America as a melting pot of cultures. Uh, 
Uh, my background is uh, I am Mexican. Uh, I was born in the U.S., moved to Mexico at a young age, and then my family decided to move back to the U.S. back in uh, 2003. And uh, we've been here since. So bringing this background and seeing the 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 cultures that come to the U.S., you know, from myself, like an example of myself, uh, that's what we try to bring to the menu to, at camp. So not only, you know, Hispanic products, but we try to have a very global uh, influence to it. Uh, I've been recently getting really into Asian cuisine, uh, Thai cuisine, Vietnamese. So you'll see a little bit of that. Uh, Chef Matt Valar, one of our sous chefs, uh, he has been playing a little bit with the Mexican cuisine also. So he's been making like this little fusion of dumplings with birria, Chinese dumplings with birria, oh. and uh, various things. I mean, thankfully, we we have a beautiful concept to where we don't really have a waltz, any, any type of waltz. Uh, but in order to keep us within a line, we try to stay as, uh, as seasonal as we can. So we try to support a few uh, local farms, uh, a few local you know, producers of everything that we can find. One of our cool producers is uh, Olive Oil, which this is a company that is started and, and they import the olive oil from Greece, but specifically to Greenville. So that's one of the persons that we also try to support. So okay. we try to do as much as we can with the community and you know, seeing, just having fun with the menu. And how many times a year do you change? I mean, I'm sure you have signatures on there that are, you know, sought after by your customers, but do you, how many times a year do you change the menu with seasonal dishes? Correct. So uh, there's a few items that have been in the menu for a good bit, uh, but we also try to, you know, change the menu often. Uh, we will change three to four items every month. Oh. And so, yeah, on the first week of every month, we'll be changing three or four items. And uh, it keeps us very entertained. It keeps the guests interested in the concept. And uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a win-win for, for everybody. Right. And how about the bar? Are you involved at all with the cocktail program? Or do you have a separate mixologist who, you know, creates cocktails that go along with the concept? Correct. That's uh, I. I am not involved in the in the in the bar atmosphere. Although I I really enjoy coming up with products and I will be giving them ideas and you know coming up with um, ingredients that they can use. But I you know I don't really have. I want to keep separate from that because there's some people that are very great at it and you know they just let them do what they're good at. And yeah, we have a a, a bar manager that takes care of uh, cocktail making. And the cool thing about the bar area is that they also involve their bartenders. So all the bartenders will bring ideas to the menu and they will come up with a really nice menu. And we also try to stay seasonal. So the bar menu will change probably about every four to three months. And so is there a cocktail that you're especially fond of that you could describe? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, there's two of them. Uh, when we first opened, we had this really nice cocktail called El Camino, which uh, I am a big mezcal uh, drinker. I enjoy mezcal. Mm -hmm. And uh, this one had mezcal, hibiscus tea, and tequila, and it was pretty tasty. And wow. then on the current menu, we have a really nice, another one with mezcal, and it's almost like a play on a martini with a mezcal. It's, it's just tasty. I love that smoky herbal mm -hmm. flavor from it. But there's a little bit for everybody. I've been getting into gin. There's some really nice gin cocktails. Mm -hmm. It's it's a great menu. And, you know, for, for either of you, I, it sounds like people in Greenville, like res, restaurant customers are pretty sophisticated and well-traveled and like all these different global flavors and trend-setting kinds of dishes. Has that evolved since you've been starting there? I mean, since you started there, Carl, I mean, are people getting more sophisticated? 
Yeah, without a doubt. You know, Diego mentioned a melting pot of um, our community and our menu at camp. So for those that don't know, Greenville was an old textile community. And when the textile industry uh, in the 70s and the 80s went overseas, we had an incredible workforce here, but we were losing jobs. And I think that's when BMW uh, was one of the major contributors and the first big manufacturers that came to to the area. So when BMW came in 1993, they were followed by, I know it's at least 100, but I believe it's closer to 200 now that are suppliers of the automotive industry. Oh. So a lot of European um, companies followed suit and they would put a stake in the ground, you know, anywhere from a from Greenville to about a 50 mile radius mm-hmm. um, all around. And, and uh, so when you get those kind of folks moving here internationally that have traveled and um, were used to flavors from back in their home country. It really opened the door for our cuisine um, in Greenville to to really flourish and and um, and to take a little more of a sophisticated step forward. But yeah, the community has changed dramatically in the thirty years that that I've been doing business here. And did you grow up here, Diego, or are you transplanted from somewhere else? Well, you mentioned Uh, that you grew up in Mexico part of the time, but when did you get to Greenville? (laughs) Correct. So I lived in Mexico, in Puebla, until I was 11. And then uh, when I turned 11, my family uh, decided to move to Greenville. So I've been living here in Greenville for the past 20 years. And yeah, just to piggyback with uh, Mr. Carl, I mean, the town has changed a lot. And uh, thankfully, in our industry, um, I mean, Table City One opened the door for many other places to come into town and to pretty much make Greenville a... Uh, a nice tourist and also a uh, uh, food-oriented city and bringing that food food tourism, honestly. And uh, it's great. I mean, personally, as a chef, I, I enjoy that because that opens the door for other concepts in the future. Definitely. And you, t- you mentioned the catering program a bit. So how has the catering program rebounded since the pandemic? You, you said you're really busy now around the holidays, but what other kinds of catered events do you do? Yeah, the catering business, um, South Carolina opened up for business during the pandemic pretty quickly, but catering took a long time to recover and people weren't traveling, business groups weren't Mm -hmm. here, conventions and such got conferences got canceled. So that business took a little while longer to recover, but now it is, it is full bore and the weddings that got postponed in 20 and 21 kind of doubled up our wedding business in 22 and 23. Uh, and now it's kind of settled back in, but we do, we do anything. So our catering team will be out on 15 or 20 events on any given day. And that could be uh, early morning breakfast and lunch set up in an office building to private in dinner, in home dinner with one of our clients large weddings, large corporate events, grand openings, anniversary celebrations of businesses, anything and everything that involves um, a good time, a celebration and food and beverage. Uh, so we are we are back up and running and, and full bore. Now, I meant to ask this when we were talking about the restaurants, but what is the price range? Because I, you know, I live in New York and I noticed how expensive menu items have gotten, especially protein items on the menu. And so I was just wondering what, you know, like uh, the price range of an entree is maybe at your restaurant, Diego, you can talk to that. 
So our concept is a little more oriented for the uh, tapa style, so small plates, shareables. Uh-huh. Although we have a few larger plates for uh, guests that might enjoy a little more of that experience, of course, experience. Now, I mean, I could tell you that our price ranges from maybe within the ten to twenty eight dollars, maybe twenty five dollars on the smaller plates, and then the larger plates taking probably. I mean, I think the highest right now it's around thirty six, thirty eight dollars. And uh, something that we really try at Canvas to stay, uh, to make really great food. I mean, obviously, it's it's very well detailed, uh, great products, uh, well thought menu, uh, but still keeping it at a very approachable uh, price. Um, honestly, I mean, it, we we have to make uh, the money to cover the the expenses of the of the menu items. But at the same time, it's it, honestly I see it as a as a good deal. Many times I'm like, uh, can we charge a little bit more? You know, I mean, we really we really should. But uh, I mean, we we still want to make the people happy. We want to make sure that the the restaurant is full, and I mean, we have to take care of the guests. Right. Have you noticed any ingredients or products that have really gone up in price a lot recently? Definitely, uh, uh, butter. Butter is very expensive right now. Uh, the meats, uh, we went through it really uh, probably about six months ago. Uh, one of our, probably our most popular item on the menu right now, it's uh, pinchos, it's little steak skewers. And we ran into this issue that when we first started uh, making this dish, we were buying this scared steak for about eight fifty a pound, right? Yeah. Probably we saw the price was started going up and about six, maybe seven months ago, it was up to $13 a pound. Wow. And uh, we decided to make a few adjustments, change the the meat to a kangaroo steak, which is, I mean, it's still a great product. Uh, went down to 11, and thankfully, right now we're starting to see a decrease on the prices. So it's it's encouraging, it's exciting. <laughs> yeah, for some reason, skirt steak got really popular, and now it's really expensive. I mean, even at the grocery store. So yeah, but yeah, I think some of that, some of it's supply and demand, some of it's the commodities market. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, if that's an important lesson that Diego has learned and all of our chefs that, you know, we really have to pay attention on a weekly, at least a monthly, but we'd like it even more on a weekly basis to be looking at ingredients. And as things, you know, if we've got a, a nice fin fish on the menu, but all of a sudden, if grouper goes through the roof, then we want to try to make a substitution and maybe do something with snapper or, you know, something comparable, but where we don't have to raise the price drastically for our guests, um, but we can still give them a nice quality ingredient. And even I was thinking about catering um, beef tenderloin would get really high from time to time. And you're just, you're not doing a filet on a lot of our catering menus. We're doing sliced beef tenderloin and mm-hmm. maybe putting it on a roll for a, a little um, tenderloin sandwich and but if we source appropriately, we can find like a terrace major, which is a slightly different cut, but it it appears and it comes across almost like a beef tenderloin, it's just as high in quality. Um, so we can substitute some of those ingredients to keep our menu prices relatively reasonable for our for our guests. You know, to to further you know what Diego said about camps menu pricing, our our full service restaurants. We don't have a steakhouse, so we don't have. Um, a restaurant with $60, $70 steak entrees, although each of our restaurants predominantly has a nice filet or New York strip. Um, but generally, I think, you know, most of our Sobeys being the flagship and kind of your traditional order an appetizer, an entree and a dessert. Um, the entrees at Sobeys range from the high 20s up to about $40, $42 for the, mm-hmm. for the filet. So pretty, pretty reasonable. Yeah. Um, 
But you know, you got to think in New York, you're paying the restaurants there are paying a hundred, two hundred dollars a square foot for rent, and you know right. we're down here in little old Greenville, and we get freaked out at forty dollars a square foot for rent. So, the the economics of it make it a little bit different in your menu pricing. Mm-hmm. Can you also, because you have six restaurants and catering, um, can you buy in volume for all the restaurants that are in? So- we have a we have great relationships with our vendors, and yes, we have a primary vendor that we have some great incentives um, for our chefs to to all be buying from the same company, um, and then try to buy you know the same product. So Braveheart Beef is a wonderful supplier that uh, comes through our our vendor, and we try to buy as much Braveheart Beef as we can to keep our keep our pricing down, but also receive some rebates and um, incentives for for purchases. Cool. It's really interesting. It's a whole different type of model. So, I mean, you talked about this a little bit, Carl, but longevity is really rare in this business, but you've been around a long time. So what do you attribute that longevity to? Do you have like a secret to your success? You know, I think um, I do. I think it's very sometimes the restaurant business is made to be more difficult than it really is. Uh, and we talk about, and I think Diego would would validate this, but we talk about at our monthly manager meetings, our new hire orientations, and our annual employee awards and recognition, we, we just continue to talk over and over about guest service and taking care of others, taking care of our internal guests, our team and our teammates, and taking mm-hmm. care of our external guests. You know, we have over 200 restaurants in our downtown central business district in Greenville, and they can all... I say this all the time. It sounds repetitive, but they can all grill a piece of salmon. They can all make a Caesar salad. There's extremely talented chefs. Um, So how are we going to differentiate ourselves? And we're going to hopefully differentiate ourselves by um, loving on our customers, loving on our employees, and just taking great care of people, building solid relationships. Um, And, you know, Sobeys, 26 years, the Lazy Goat, 17 years, uh, the Nosedive, 11 years. Camp is going into its third year. We had a we, where the Jones Oyster Company is now. We had a twenty-year run with a Sobeys on the side, which was a breakfast and lunch cafe. We closed it during COVID because nobody was working downtown, and we rebranded it into this Oyster Company. So um, I, I don't know, Diego. Would you would you agree? It's the relationship building and and just taking care of people, and and that's kind of a key to our success. Yeah, I honestly agree with that. I mean, I think. Uh, thankfully, all of the people that we have, they have that honest feeling towards the guests. Like we really want to get to 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 you know to reach to the guests and, and make them feel the best that they can. And I mean, it, it's a business, you know, etc. You know, you need to sell whatever. But at the end of the day, you really have that honest feeling from the chefs, from the servers, from uh, management that we need to take care of the guests because that's. That's our industry. You know, we're in the hospitality industry and that's what we we're here for to take care of the guests. And uh, thankfully, I mean, we, we many, many times we have many opportunities to give the guests that little extra touch. You know, uh, thankfully, last night we had this guest that uh, at camp that they had a lot of allergies. It, it was it was a lot. <laughs> but I mean, I pretty much just went to the table and I was like, what are you craving? What would you like to eat tonight? You know, and I, I just told her what I had in the walk-in, what type of vegetables we had. And, I mean, it was busy. It, I was getting backed up with tickets. 
but just being able to take care of this, you know, these two ladies, it was it was amazing. And you know, knowing that they their day was made, you know, knowing that they left happy and mm-hmm. uh, it, it was just nice. It's a great experience, and we have so many examples of those. And it's just a genuine feeling that uh, you really want to take care of people. Yeah, it sounds wonderful. I really want to get to Greenville now and try some of these <laughs> restaurants. But as we move into 2024, what are you most looking forward to, Diego? You know, like maybe what are you most looking forward to doing on the menu or in the restaurant in general? So uh, overall in the, uh, on the menu, um, I get excited for spring. Uh, all the, the new products that we can get, the new uh, vegetables, uh, so I get v- very excited during springtime. During the winter, I mean, all the hearty menus, all the hearty dishes. Uh, I just get excited of the creative aspect, honestly. I love uh, creating items. I love uh, working with, with the team, working with our cooks, and, you know, asking them for, for I don't know, things that they grew up eating. Uh, we have a very diverse kitchen, thankfully. And I was telling you a little bit about my interest in Asian cuisine. We have this young cook. Uh, she's Filipino. And I've been asking her, like, you know, what do you guys eat? What, what do you grow up eating? And just uh, getting a lot of feedback and and just comments from our cooks. It's it's amazing. And yeah, I just just get excited about the creative aspect and the new challenges. You know, just being able to uh, make better food, being able to keep people interested in our concept, and just making the people happy. And how about you, Carl? What are you looking forward to in the new year? Yeah, I'm like, I'm a lot like Diego. We just kind of muscle through the winter and all the root vegetables and the hearty dishes. Um, and springtime just, you know, always brings rejuvenation and um, kind of a revival. But in 2024, um, I am really looking forward to, hopefully we've got a, a chef that's been with us for a year uh, that spent um, about 10 years in New York City and migrated south and moved to Greenville. And we're looking for the right location um, to, to open up a restaurant, uh, with him. And it'll be, it'll add another element to what we do. Um, more of a tasting menu kind of concept, mm-hmm. a little finer dining, which Greenville doesn't necessarily have right now. Um, and I know it's a, that's a tough, that's a tough, um, genre to be in that we've got the right team being built and, um, and we can get that going. So well underway and have something, something new to announce, um, in late in 2024. Thanks so much, Carl and Diego. I definitely have to check out Greenville, South Carolina sometime soon. You can download this episode of Menu Feed and past podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Pat Kobe, and thanks for listening. (music) 